stories to you. Hello, my name is Rosemary Milsom and I'm the director of the Newcastle Writers' Festival. This session, The Dreaming Path, was recorded at our 2022 festival and features Paul Callaghan and Uncle Paul Gordon in conversation with Joe Williams. How you doing? Uh, my name is Joe Williams. I'm a Radri Wogaloo man based now in Dubbo, the bosses of Dubbo girls. So I live and do what I do as I'm told. Uh, where, wherever the boss goes, and I live out of my suitcase most days of the year um, prior to the pandemic. But uh, the last two years have been a little bit challenging for all of us. So it's good to see so many people in the one spot. Um, we're here and, and I'm holding, I guess, my job's easy today. I, I get to hold a conversation, be witness to conversation as you guys are, uh, to two special men that have had significant impact on my life as a person, uh, but significant impact on many people uh, right across the east coast of Australia and uh, in travels as well, right across both nationally and internationally. So um, today we're here to talk about what many people have described as a life-changing book. For many reasons. A life-changing book because it's an opportunity to learn about what is the oldest people in the world. It'd be remiss of me not to mention and acknowledge them old people, from my people and your people to the lands that we walk today. And I show my respect every day to them old people. I don't just say respect or pay respect or acknowledge respect, I show my respect. As an individual person, I do my best to show respect to them old people every day. Not just the people physically we interact with, but the old people who have been here for thousands of years and in our belief system, many life cycles. Them old birds, them old trees, country, was here a long time before man stepped foot on it. So it's important to show respect to country and whether you're on top of that conversation or you're not, there's probably a great reasons why we're being challenged with different things that are happening to country. It's because of the way that we treat country. So I show my respect every day to them old people everywhere we go. As I mentioned, my, dad, my, my job today is a, is a fairly easy one. I get to sit here and, and hold conversation with two special people about some knowledges that have been passed down for millennia. Some knowledges that many people in this room, in many rooms, may never been introduced to. Knowledges that have been handed down through spoken word and through behaviors for many thousands of years. We talk about those old people and who they are, how they interact and what we do every day. The stories that have been passed down, handed down from those old people are stories that we all walk and carry today. What's special, and I know that they don't like me talking about how special these two fellas are, is because they own and walk their story. The challenge with many of us in our country is we don't know our story. We don't know who we are and we don't know where we come from. And the challenge when you don't know where you come from 
You can't know where you're going. That was a bit deep. (laughs) (laughs) Sounded like me, Joe. Uncle Paul Callaghan, and round of applause for both men, Uncle Paul Gordon. Now, I spoke about both men and how much impact they have on people in this world, but it's knowledges from the old world, a world that existed here for many, many, many thousands of years and millennia, that is shared on the pages of this book. There's an opportunity for all of us to start to learn by this. We talk about the dreaming path, indigenous thinking to change your life. Uncle Paul Callaghan as one of the authors of this book talked to us about how he got to the dreaming part. Thanks Joe and excuse me, clear my throat. Before I do that I also acknowledge this country and I was born in and I'm part of Warramai country, the other side of the river so that makes me a a visitor to this country so whenever I visit country I just don't look around at the the buildings and the cars and the dreaded red lights that drove me mad this morning (laughs) I think about those old ones that have cared for this place for over a hundred thousand years and how they've walked this place and they've loved this place and that's something we can all get into the habit of doing wherever you go don't think of what you see right now think about who walked here before me and what did, what did they think about and what did this place mean to them and try and connect with that. And if you do that, you'll start to follow the dreaming path. So I acknowledge those old people and I acknowledge the people that are in this community today, but I also acknowledge everyone here because for you to come here gives me hope because you've made the effort And looking back, one of of the big challenges in terms of Aboriginal culture and sharing is having people who are willing to listen. Because there's a lot to listen to. So thank you all for being here. And at the end of today, just remind me to get you all to give applause for yourselves. But not now, because we want to save it all for us. (laughs) So... I grew up on Karua Mission. Anyone know where Karua is? So I'm a Ridgeway. The people say that Ridgeways are tall, dark and handsome and, you know, what can I say? (laughs) That's just the way it is. But I grew up knowing I was Aboriginal, but I wasn't sure what that meant. So I grew up, I went to Raymond Terrace High School, which means I'm really tough. (laughs) I was the first in our area to go to year 12 and I graduated in the top 15% of the state but I was told by a career advisor I was too dumb to go to uni and I believed it and so I didn't. I went to TAFE, became a surveyor and then in my 30s I did a degree in commerce majoring in accounting and I lectured in economics. Now what blackfella from Cruel Mission would ever dream of doing that? But I did because I believed in what I was told in terms of success that to be successful you needed to get educated, to be successful you needed to work hard, to be successful you needed to do what everyone told you to do. And I did. And then 
in all of that, I was very fortunate. <laughs> to meet a beautiful young woman, who's now a beautiful old woman. Nah, you're not that old, Dale. <laughs> not that old. I'm standing next to you. I don't think thrown up here because I'm standing next to you, all right? And there's my beautiful daughter down there, and they're the blessings in life. But in my mid-30s, trying to be the perfect father, the perfect brother, the perfect husband, the perfect employee, the perfect citizen, the perfect you name it, it was all too much and I had a nervous breakdown. On the day of my 35th birthday, I drove home, curled up in a ball on a bed and stayed there for three months. And when I reached out to the system, the system said, you'll never recover from this, you'll be permanently disabled, you won't be able to walk, walk again, or work again. And I thought, that's no good, I've got a lovely wife who's only 30 and I've got three beautiful kids. The only answer to this is for me to kill myself so I can free them up because they deserve a life of richness, not a life of being anchored to me. And I went down to where we lived and I went to do it on this particular day. And as I was about to, this thought came to me and it said, hey, maybe you don't need to listen to what everyone else has said. Maybe you don't need to listen to those experts anymore. Maybe you need to listen to you and you own your life. And that's what I determined to do. So I walked back up the hill and I didn't have an instant healing. Mental health isn't easy to recover from. It took me years. But on that journey, I met this amazing man to my left. When I first met him, he scared me. <laughs> then after I got to know him, he intimidated me with his wisdom and knowledge. Then over years, he courted me, probably stalked me, and begged for me to become his friend. <laughs> Not. But he became my friend and now we're besties. We kind of text each other late at night like, what you doing? Oh, nothing. Oh, look, I'm just hanging here. But now he's a bestie and he's changed my life and that was because he helped me find my dreaming path. And so what happened there was I realised I'd spent all of my life trying to please everybody else and service their expectations and not mine. What I learned through this old man was I needed to walk my dreaming path. I needed to walk my footsteps. And what I found was the cultural learning he gave me gave me meaning and it gave me purpose and it gave me direction. And as I did that, I suddenly became this success in the corporate sector and I found all the things he'd given me not only works for me, not only works for Aboriginal people, not only works in the corporate sector, it works in all aspects of our life for everyone. And that's how I came to find my way, and it's a good way. Thanks, Uncle PC. And clap if you want to clap. <laughs> Uncle Paul Gordon, I relate to everything Uncle PC just said, and just footnote, I'll call one Uncle PC, one Uncle Paul Gordon, so you know. That's PC, this fella. Uncle Paul. Computer brain. Both Pauls, right? We're, we're registering, we're good. Uncle Paul, I, I, I relate to everything Uncle PC said because we're walking this path that as First Nation peoples probably not built for us. We talk about the modern world of who we are and why we are Yet you, a couple of years older than us, 
lived a little closer and a little more connected to the older people. Let's talk a little bit about that. Your journey on how you got to who you are and why you are now. Well, I grew up at a little place called Brewarana, which is on the Barren River in northwestern New South Wales. If you don't know where that is, it's about 100 kilometres from Burke, that most people know where Burke is. I grew up on an res Aboriginal reserve called Billigate Bend. Later on it became known as Barwon Fall because of the four families that lived there, the Gordons, the Barkers, the Crawfords and the Hardys, who are quite big Aboriginal families in, the, in Brewarana. But my father was a fencer and my grandfather was a fencer and I spent a lot of my life out in the bush building fences on sheep stations and cattle stations in northwest, southwest Queensland, northwest New South Wales. And the people I worked with as a young boy were old Aboriginal men. That was the ones that Dad employed because he was Aboriginal himself. And we were able to sit around the fire every night out in the bush. They were able to teach me stories. They were able to teach me about dance. They were able to teach me about country. There was no IGAs or Woolies or Coles anywhere near us. So we lived off bush foods that was in the bush. Foods that if I mentioned them you wouldn't know anything about, like bumbles and napans and boobiella and mugiella and lots of different grass seeds, um, lots of different meats. And we also got a sheep every now and again off the boss that we worked for. But it was... I guess I was lucky because the old people was able to pass on the old ways to me by being out there with them in the bush. School wasn't valued by my, by my parents, um, even though I was good at school and ended up being the school captain at the Brewerland Central School, which I only went to year 10. It was, I, found, I found education, Western education, really easy. But at 15, Dad said, you don't have to go to school now, mate. You know, you fulfill your obligation to the Western world. You can come out the bush and go fencing again if you want. And I said, oh, now I might go down to Newcastle. So I came down to Newcastle and did a bricklaying apprenticeship. Um, but halfway through it, I chucked it in and went back home to Brewarana. And then my father passed away. So I went home and did all the fencing contracts that, that, was, that he still had on his books to do and to give mum some money. And the land council system started in 1983. And I became a cultural officer for the Northwest Regional Land Council. And it was great because I was able to go and pick up all, the, all them old men and who were still alive who still knew about where all our sacred sites were and knew all the story of country, I was able to put them in a Hilux four-wheel drive and drive them through country and record their stories. And, and you know, it gave me, again, that opportunity to, to, in, to connect the country, to understand all our stories and the importance of it. I then went to Northern Territory, to the Pinabee people at a place called Kintore. Um, and did ceremony with them and then I travelled up to Arnhem Land and did some ceremony up there and ever since then I've been still connected to the, the people through ceremony and story. Um, I then started to share 
this knowledge with other Aboriginal men who I knew were lost or I knew they needed to reconnect to their, their past, their ancestors' past, and to understand where we are sitting today. Um, since then, I guess there's been hundreds and hundreds of men that have, have come bush with me and had different experiences with me. Um, yeah, we wrote a book before this one, me and PC. Um, similar theme, but again, it was to try and get our message out there about looking after country and sharing a story with one another, not just with Aboriginal people, but with everybody that we came in contact with. I'm someone who works in the wellbeing space. I'm someone who, who travels 300 plus days in the year delivering workshops, talking to people about this crippling epidemic of mental health that's challenging a lot of our communities. And we look at, we look at purely at stats. And the First Nation people of this country, the oldest people in the world, are among the highest rates of suicide throughout the world. Now, if you look at us as a people who told story, well, this is a story for everything, for every animal, every plant, everything that exists in our being. And if we look at 500 separate nations across the country with 2,500 different dialects of language, there's no word for the meaning of suicide. So if there's no word to document what it was or what it is, it tells you it wasn't there. I was going through a particular time in my life and I'm lucky enough to travel, as I said, nationally and internationally with the work that I do. And every day this, the message may change, but there's always two conversations I allude to. The first conversation was around the fire, just myself and, and Uncle Paul out at Brewarrina. And here's someone who was a success, successful sports person. I was lucky enough to play in the NRL, then I was a professional boxer, traveling around, talking about challenges that I've had mentally and emotionally all my life. Lucky enough to be sit, still sitting here today from circumstances that I probably shouldn't have been. Psych ward stays, multiple doctors, multiple labels that told me that I was mentally ill. Uncle Paul said to me around the fire one night, he said, brother, I'm gonna challenge what them doctors tell you. I don't think you're mentally ill. And my head went a million miles an hour because that's all I was told. That's all I was told in the Western labels. And he said, it's not your mind that's sick. It's your spirit that's sick. And you can only heal your spirit out here on country. And then I'm sitting on the side of, I won't say the side of the road, but the side of a path with Uncle PC. At another time, extremely significant time in my life. And he said, brother, what you do and practice and learn out here, sorry, what you do and learn out here and you practice that, for the rest of your life, 
your mental health problems will all but go away. And it's in those two conversations that I draw so much strength from that is documented in this book as to why people are so unwell. Not unwell physically, but unwell mentally and spiritually. Uncle PC, let's talk about, I'll come back to you, Uncle Paul, Uncle Paul. <laughs> Uncle Paul, let's talk about that conversation and how it impacts people's well-being today and who they are because of they don't, how, they, how they don't know their story or where they're from and different things like that. Well, that, there's an old saying that the old people always had, if you don't know where you come from, you'll never know where you're going. And when you look at the impact of what happened to Aboriginal people, well, if we go back to the very beginning, there was over 500 different language groups, possibly 2,500 different dialects, at least 10,000 different groups of people living in very specific parts of Australia. Some of them in the harshest parts of the world, like in the Simpson Desert, the Great Sandy Deserts. And they live there really well. People say, oh, it must have been really hard for them people to live in the desert. I go, they're not silly people. They would have packed up and moved if it was hard. They lived in the desert because they had intimate knowledge of their, of their place and they never found it hard to live there. Donald Thompson, who was a well-known anthropologist, spent six years living with the Pindaby people in the Great Sandy Desert, and he said these people, this was in the late 50s and early 60s, he said these people only need two hours a day to survive. The rest of the time they're having this wonderful social time together, sitting down with their children, telling stories, visiting other Pindaby groups, having a wonderful social time, dancing, singing, sharing story, doing ceremony. He said they live a very idyllic life. Look at that picture in Lake Macquarie, or the Hunter here, and the amount of wealth of natural resources. If, they, if the Aboriginal people were gathering food here probably for more than 10 minutes, they were probably walking hard. Because it would, it would have been so easy compared to the desert people. So they had time to develop a really wonderful social world. It was a world built on relationships with one another rather than armies. So when Europeans first arrived here, there was no castles, there was no forts, there was no fences, there was no great army waiting to spear people when they got off the ships in 1788. They were welcomed in the country. Our people never built great armies. Our people built relationships with one another and shared story. And we had ceremonial pathways that travelled right across the country and brought us together. And that's a really important picture to understand. When we think about today, 2022, we're still killing each other. We're still building nuclear weapons to blow each other to bits because our leaders can't build relationships because they focus on one thing and it's normally greed rather than relationships. So when you, when you live in a world like that and then that world gets taken from you and you have all this trauma, generational trauma of the last 240 years, you do find a very lost, fragmented, broken people. 
who find it very hard to connect to their story, to their families, to their country. Um, land ownership is, you know, stops us from, from walking and travelling country to our special places. You become lost, people become lost. So what we do is try and, with young men and women, is try and connect them to their story, connect them to their ancestors' story, so that they can sit in a place today in a much better position than what they were before. Um, and to do that, we had to acquire land. Um, and we did that by throwing in together and, and purchasing land so that we can have people out on country. We did that through joining up with national parks and you know going out on country that way. But it's really important for our people to, and for every Australian, not just not just Aboriginal people, but for every Australian to connect to country in a real way. Um, most Australians go, well, you know, if I take them out the bush, I'll go, what sort of tree is it? They'll say a gum tree or a wattle tree. And that's the only two trees they seem to know, a wattle tree or a gum tree. You know, there's heaps of different sorts of gum trees and there's heaps of different sorts of wattle trees. Which one is it? I don't know. You know so if we love our country, we need to actually learn about our country. And by learning more and more our, about our country and, the, and its environment, then the more we'll love our country. And the more we love our country, we more, the more we can sit in a much calmer space um, without fear of country, like a lot of people have. Uncle PC, one thing that's beautiful about the book is that, and you, you, you touched on it before, the, the struggle to walk between two worlds. The struggle to walk between a world that's been here for 100,000 years plus and a world that's been here for 200 years of demand and increase, decrease of time with our, our, our loved ones, but more time at work and away from people and, and the pressure of going, going, going. You spoke about the struggle to walk between those two worlds and how one world of connection helped you find a way back. One thing I love about the book is that there's different tips and tools to be able to do that. Two things I'll talk about relating to that. Firstly, <clears throat> tapping into what Uncle Paul said, quite often non-Aboriginal people will say, well, I really want to be part of this scene, but I feel like an intruder. And I feel like an outsider, and, and I don't want to break protocols and do the wrong thing. What can I do? And you just heard Uncle Paul give you an invite. And what that's about is the law and, and the lessons and the stories, they belong to the land. And we happen to have them passed on to us to be the ones to share those stories as custodians. But if you're on this land, then you have an opportunity and a right to access those stories just like us, and we're happy to share them with you. And this is a big challenge because there are a lot of people in Australia that are lost, that are saying, where is my connection? Where is my culture? Where's my story? And wiser people than me have written this because I've just finished a PhD, thank goodness, and I've actually got the words off very wise Aboriginal people who say this is our gift. We want to share this with you, non-Aboriginal Australia. Don't cringe and hide. Why don't you want to accept our gift? And I got thinking about that, and one of the challenges I see 
is if you look at value systems, the Western value systems definition of success is material and, and power and prestige. The Aboriginal view of success is the richness of my relationships, my relationships with my brothers and sisters, all of us, my relationships with the land. And so that brings me to what Joe was saying. Uncle Paul and I were sitting outside Central Railway Station, a little food court, quite a few years ago now, and Uncle Paul had never tried Vietnamese pork rolls, bon me. So we're sitting in this little forecourt and we're about to go and give a presentation to a bunch of juvenile justice people to try and get the things we do into the system. That failed miserably, by the way. We got tossed out. <laughs> but that doesn't take away from this story. We were sitting there and I said to Uncle Paul, have you ever tried bone me? And he went, what? And I said, Vietnamese pork rolls, they're the bomb. And so I got a couple and we just went stir crazy into them. And if you're able to kind of take a photograph of us in terms of spirit, you would have seen all these rainbow colours coming out of us of joy. <laughs> Absolute like, hey, we've nailed 10 out of 10 joy right now in this minute. And then I looked around and the whole world was filled full of people coated in grey. They were walking hunched over. They looked miserable. There were people looking at this tall building going, oh my God. I have to go in there, but only another 40 years and then I can retire. And so it got me thinking and I thought, well, these people have all this colour around them, but they're not embracing it. And I thought about that and what it is, the old people say, when we leave this world behind, all we leave behind is our story. So make it the best story possible. But what I see are people consumed by busyness and false story. They're letting other people write their story. That's what happened to me. They're not owning their story. And so if you don't own your story, you can't possibly follow your dreaming path and you're not going to find contentment. And that's why I was compelled to work with Uncle Paul to write this book, because our ways of thinking helps you live a good story. And the cornerstone of that that Joe mentioned, in traditional times, our boss, was mother, the earth. The mother told us when the food was there. The mother told us when to get up. The mother told us when to move with the seasons. What tells you that now? The clock. The boss now of all of us, not me so much, my boss is sitting right there, I'm very nervous, <laughs> is the clock. What do we do when we wake up? We look at the clock. What do we do during the day? We look at the clock. Why do we get wild at red lights? Because, gee, there's time ticking. Then we rush home and hit a bottle of shardy course, I haven't got much time. Then we watch a bit of telly, we try and get rid of the kids, we try and get on to whatever. Then we go to bed and then the clock gets us going again. So no wonder we don't have a place of contentment because we've got the wrong boss. And so the challenge for all of you is to reshape that and go, okay, time is there, but I'm going to manage it. I'll be its boss. I'll be the boss here, thanks. I've met that when I first met Uncle Paul, I remember vividly it was 52 degrees and we were going goat hunting out west and it took him three hours to get on his motorbike and I'm going, when is this old bugger going to get up and do it? I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And that's what happens when you watch and listen and learn. I learned to be patient and that helped me find contentment. And there's so many stories about that, right? Everything's story. In our world, everything's story. Who here knows any dreaming stories, any dream time stories, the ones that you learn when you're the little kids age that are in this room? Yeah, a couple of, the, 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 yeah, 
five, six, out of a room of 200 people, five or six people know a story. Yeah. I'm getting at something, right? When we look at, when we look at our, our dreaming stories, our old stories, the stories that tell us and shape us of who we are and the landscape that we've got, right? It's in our old stories, the two stories that, that I connect to most and the two stories I love and the two stories that I share, the two stories of Tiddalik the Frog and how the birds got their colours. And people say, Tiddalik the Frog, yeah, a story about a frog, what can that teach us? But Tiddalik the Frog's a story about not being greedy. How the birds got their colours, yeah, the birds, yeah, wow, it tells us a story about how birds, you know, got all their colours and how they're beautiful and like rainbows now, but what's how the birds got their colours about? It's a story about helping each other. So when we look at and connect to our old stories, the stories that our old people shared down for thousands of years, they're all stories about helping each other. We live in a world now that doesn't particularly help each other. How do we connect back to them old stories if we don't know our own story? Well, for me, I guess I'll tell you a little bit more about um, who I am. Um, even though I said I was in Brewarren, I didn't actually say what my tribal groups were, but um, Ngiampa is the mob in Brewarrena. That's their language group. Um, my, grand, my grandfather was Murawari, which is a north of Brewarrena, going up into southwest Queensland. And my mother's people were Barkindji people off the Barker River, which is the Darling, but it's the same as the Barwon, it just changes its name as it travels down down through New South Wales. But who, who I actually am, right, is Garagilu. Garagilu means I belong to the rocks. So my family belong to rocks. And my family say rocks are born, rocks get pregnant, rocks grow, rocks die like all things do. So in our belief, everything, everything is living and everything dies. But everything then is rebirthed again over and over and over in this circle of life. And one of my grandsons, when he went to school, the teacher said, rocks are innate. They're not living like trees or humans. And my grandson said, Miss, my grandfather and my father say that rocks are living like all of us. And she said, oh, no, you're wrong. So I wrote this little poem. I can't, re I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's all about how rocks, how rocks were born and how, and how they break down slowly, slowly over thousands of years and how they become soil and how we're birthed from that soil. And the rock says, without me doing my, my, my work and living a long life, you wouldn't have soils to be born. And when you die, you, you know, you'll, you'll come back to the earth and you'll be born again from that, maybe as a kangaroo, maybe as a tree, and you know, maybe as a piece of grass and the kangaroo eats the grass and you become part of the kangaroo and the kangaroo hops over there and does a poo and then you, you start over there again. This is the circle of life that we talk about. You know? And we talk about our spirit being born again when, a, when, a, when conceivement happens, our, our spirit enters that child on conceivement and then maybe 
when the child is born, our old people would look at that baby and go, hey, look at that baby. He looks like that old woman. She looks like that old woman or that old man that we lost, you know, 50 years ago. And um, that's that circle of life that we talk about. And for me, sitting in country, sitting in country and listening to country and really realising that you're just a part of it and that you're made up of it and the water that flows through you when you pass away goes back to the water and you become part of the creek, you become part of the river, you become part of the sea, you become part of the cloud, you fall as rain again and you go round and round. Um, so you have all these memories and stories as an eternal being. And sitting in country can connect you back to that. And sitting down with old people and uh, who teach us about dreaming stories, or we call them, in my language, we call it Ngunrampa, Ngunrampa stories, not not Dreamtime stories, but Ngurrumpa stories. Um, it means stories about my camp, about my place. Some of them are about our country that we, that we walk in, and some of them are about stars and the sun and the moon. And every night when I look up, I see story. Every day when I walk around, I see story. And we can all connect to that, but we've got to be, feel like we're a part of it. You just touched on the circle of life, right? And, and different belief systems around the world have different ways of explaining that in what it means and, and into their particular belief system. I recall a conversation that I had with, with you, Uncle Paul, when the, when the bushfires were happening a few years ago and tragic bush, bushfires right across the country. And, and I rang up Uncle and I said, Uncle, can't we make that fire stop? I've been lucky enough to know these, these old, these special men and, 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 and special men that, that, that I've traveled across the country and sat in community with that quite frankly can turn the rain on, on and off like a tap. I've seen it with my own eyes. I said, can't we make it stop? He said, what for brother? Fire's got spirit too. And I said, there's a billion animals that have died. Animals are our kin, animals are our totems. I spoke to so many First Nation people across this country throughout those, those fires and our spirit was just crying. I said, what about them old animals? He said, the cycle of life, brother. They go back to mother and they're reborn. When you understand that cycle of life, that everything's always living, you tend to look at things and interpret things very differently. Over the years, we've been lucky to sit around some special fires. This book, I've heard multiple people say that it's changed their life. What are some of the events that you can recall that relate to story that help impact people's life that they can take away, sit, listen and learn 
from Aboriginal people because, again, we're still trying to build a, a conversation. We're still trying to build a relationship in this country. I don't even use the terminology of reconciliation because to reconcile is to heal a broken relationship. Let's be honest, we've never had a relationship. We need to start a relationship. What's the best way to do that? Well, there are three people in this audience that are doubting all this. They're saying, gee, why did I come in here? But if I walk out now, everyone will see me. I know who they are. I'm not going to name you. So I'm going to give you a chance to be changed. So this is only going to take a couple of minutes, but I'll give you the instructions and then you just got to get into it, all right? So when I say go, you've got to find someone you don't know very well, or if you're single, someone that you fancy. <laughs> but don't go running across the room because you'll knock over other people. And when you find that other person, I'm going to, I'm going to count you in and you're going to have 30 seconds for one person to tell the other person their entire life story, all right? 30 seconds. And then you're going to switch and then I'll give you the next instruction. So are you ready? One, two, three, find someone you don't know. You've only got 15 seconds to do this. Feel the energy? Feel the energy? All right. Five, four, three, two. We've got someone here that just can't find anybody. Oh, come on, someone help out. All right. Let's All come right, back. That's it Let's now. come back. Come on, come back. Otherwise, the whole hour will be gone. Now, when I say go, when I say go, three, two, one. When I say go, one person, 30 seconds to tell their life story. And then when I say switch, the other person, 30 seconds. Go. Let's go. Switch, switch. Now listen, listen, listen. What you're going to do now, you've got 30 seconds to tell each other what was amazing about their story, what was inspiring, what makes their story legendary. So one person start, 30 seconds, go.
five, four, three, two, one. Switch, switch. This is really good for board of energy in the room. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, everyone, back to their seats. Let's go back to our seats. All right, how's everybody feeling? Have you noticed the room's just pumped? Why is it pumped? Because you've connected and you've shared story, yeah? So if you share story for 30 seconds, and did anybody get a surprise that someone found their story interesting? Hey, you all have amazing stories, so never be shamed about where you've come from. You heard that from Uncle Paul? And then start thinking about what am I going to do for the next part of my story, because I need to live a good story, because part of my observation is people in the future, if you're owned by other people's expectations, you're not going to live a good story. So feel good about the feedback, but imagine if everybody shared 30 seconds of their story and another person made the time to listen. How would our world be? Imagine if you did it for five minutes. So why aren't we united? Why don't we connect? You think about it. When we're at school, we're told to compete with each other, to be the best in the class and the best on the sporting field. When we go to high school, we compete to get the best grades to get into uni. And we're told we have to go to uni or we're not successful. Then when we go for a job, what's it called? A a competitive merit-based process. And if we don't compete, someone says, that's not right, that's shit, do it again. So we're forced to compete. Then, what's the economic system called that we're all part of? The competitive market. So if you start your own business and put your shingle up, what are you doing? You're fighting each other. So the whole Western world is one of battle. And what does battle create? It creates islands where we're fighting each other. If you listen, and learn from the Aboriginal world, we don't battle, we share. And the research shows the world has 7.7 .7 billion people. There's plenty of everything for everybody if we share. Uncle Paul, First Nation people of this country have been storytellers for thousands of years handing down stories, connecting with people, connecting with country, connecting with purpose and place. I recently read a book called Lost Connections by a guy called Johan Hari. And he talks about how people right now are the most disconnected since the beginning of humankind. Let's touch on why the importance of connection. We just saw it for five minutes then with everyone. Talk about the importance of how our old people talked about connection and the importance of connection. And when you think about the way we live, when I, like I was, when I was talking about it earlier, um, building relationships is so important because it's not, and it's not just building relationships with humans. And that's what sometimes we forget, that we, we think that, that humans are the only ones who need to, who need to do things. Um, and it's all, it becomes all about us. 
and everything else is a resource. We're a resource to each other. We're, you know, trees are a resource, rocks are a resource, fish are a resource. Um, but in our in Aboriginal beliefs, everything is family. Fish is family. Kangaroo is family. Emu is family. Birds is family. Tree is family. And we have relationships with all them things. Our old people could talk and do talk to kangaroo, and do talk to emu. And, the, and you do that by building a relationship. And you build that relationship by sitting out on country, in country, and connecting. And you connect by listening. I often say to people, you know, if I asked you out for a, for a coffee and all I did was tell you how good I was and tell you how, what you need to work on, would you come out and have another coffee with me tomorrow? <laughs> no? No? But that's what happens a lot in our communities is that people come out and tell us everything that's wrong with us and everything that we need to fix. You know? And we go, well, you know, but, but they never come out to listen. So they never build a relationship with us. So r relationships are built by sitting down together, having cups of tea, eating lots of cake. That's how it works in our communities. You know, sitting down with Arnie and Uncle and Nan and Pop and sharing story. And if you don't take the time to do that, then you're never going to connect with one another. So you know, you're never going to connect with the bush or with the country or with the fire if you never sit around it. You know, when Joe was talking about that big bushfire that burnt lots of people out and these floods that just, you know, drowned a lot of people. We knew all about that, you know. My old Bundjalung uncle showed me a tree in Lismore over 600 year old and there was flood debris right up in the top of it. He showed me this back in about 1988. He said, he said that flood happened about 600 years ago. He said, and when it comes again, all of Lismore will be wiped out. So Aboriginal people have a story of all this, all this stuff, you know, and we've been trying to share it with people, but they don't want to listen. And if we think about that bushfire, it's because we don't have a relationship with country. It's because we don't have a relationship with fire. We walk with the fire, fire is our friend. Fire keeps us warm, fire cooks our food, and you've got to connect with it, and you've got to be a part of it. If you fear it, you'll always fight it. So, you know, if you look at what's going on in the world today, it, what's driving that war, you know, besides greed, it's mistrust, it's fear, it's, they're the things that we have to work together by sitting down together and building that relationship and listening to each other's story and accepting each other's story. Not saying your story's wrong, you should only follow my story. We should be able to listen to other people's stories and go, yeah, a little bit different but same. We have that saying in our, in our communities. When I first went to the desert, the old people said, oh, you know, tell, tell me some of your, of your Ngurrumpa stories. And I told them about how the Thikibila, the echidna got his spines to this old man and he went, yeah, a little bit different but same. And what he meant by that was the story of how he got his spines is different, but the moral of the story is exactly the same. It's about don't be greedy and don't take what don't belong to you. 
And if you live in a society where you're not greedy and you don't take what doesn't belong to you and you're always willing to share, then you're going to have a wonderful world to live in. And that was Aboriginal culture. Our thing was, don't tell lies, don't take what don't belong to you, don't be greedy. And we have another word that that's basically means give, give, you know. And we have a responsibility to give in this inclusive way, not I give to PC and PC gives back to me, that's trade. But in our world, I give to him, he gives to Joe and Joe, and it goes right around and eventually someone around here will pass something back to me. So everyone in the room is, has been included in the giving and the receiving. And that's outworked in our world. And that was why we had these wonderful relationships with one another. When you look at the, the, the conquer, When you look at the conquer mentality um, throughout the world, and you look at this land we, landscape we call now Australia, and you look at the map, has everyone seen the map of Aboriginal Australia with all the different colours of the different nations? You look at this, let's, let's talk about New South Wales, Radri, right? Radri's a massive big nation. We like to say that because we were the best looking and best dancers and all that, but we won't go there, right? We won't go there. But there was some tiny little ones around and there's tiny little ones right across the country we have next to these big ones. If we were a conquer mentality type of people, then those little ones wouldn't be there. The big ones just would have gathered numbers and overrode those, overrode those countries. The fact that we have two and a half thousand different dialects of language Again, you look at the conquer mentality of all the English-speaking nations around the world. Historically, we know what happened there. Two and a half thousand different dialects of language within this country tells you what? That we all had differences but same. Mm. As a nation, we need to, there's a lot we can learn from the people who have been here for 100,000 years. At a minimum, science will catch up eventually. We think it's a hell of a lot longer. Science will catch up. But there's so many stories, lessons, values that we can all learn. So that's a lovely segue. You thought you were coming here just to have a lazy Saturday afternoon before you go to the tab, have a charge escape it all before Monday hits and you go, shit, it's Monday. But no, I'm going to give you some homework. That's not what some of us do. That's what many of us do, though, across the... I'm going to give you let's some just, homework. Let's just note that. So tapping into what Uncle Paul said and Joe said, if we listen, we'll connect. Listen to each other, listen to the land, we'll connect. As we connect, we'll grow. As we grow, we'll find a path to contentment. With that path to contentment comes gratitude. If you don't have gratitude for what you got, so what's the antithesis? What's the opposite of that? It's consumerism. And what happens from when kids are little and they watch telly? I need a kinder surprise. Our youngest son, Liam. I want, what was it, a Happy Meal? I want a Happy Meal. Never ate the food, just wanted the toy. I want a toy. We're taught from when we're little, we can't be happy unless we buy all this stuff. Yeah? That's not gratitude. So have gratitude for what you've got because we've got far more than what we haven't got. 
So your homework is every night. Has anyone here got a friend? No. <laughs> Shit. You've come here because you're desperate. <laughs> Figured it out. We need to target the book for those who are desperate and then we'll sell like heaps. Every night, just before you go to Betty Buys, if you live with someone who you can get on with, great. Talk to them, otherwise phone a friend. But I want you to do this for two weeks. I want you to talk to someone, not text, talk. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's got you. And I want you to share with each other, this means talking but listening, all the good things that have happened that day. Nothing negative. That's a different phone call. This one is, I'm going to talk to someone and I'm going to tell them all the great things that have happened today. Right down to the nitty, all the great things. What do you think might happen over those two weeks? What will happen is you'll start getting more and more because you'll start to learn how to look for good things. If you do that for two weeks, what do you think is going to happen in your daily life? What do you think is going to happen? They're exactly right. You'll start seeing these good things in real time. So, when something shitty happens, like it happened to me and Ali last week, got a nice car and someone rammed into it with a trolley, you go, that's a really shit-like moment in my life, but hey, there's another hundred good things that have happened today, so I won't let that cloud me. Every day you'll notice there's hundreds of good things, a couple of not-so-good things, but hundreds of good things. Do you think that might reshape the way you see life if you see hundreds of good things every day? You will, because what will happen is every night you'll go, wow, there's been a hundred good things happen. That means there'll probably be a hundred good things tomorrow. Whoopee. And our life starts to reshape. That's what our old people did. They walked country going, how good's this? How good's this? They didn't say, I wish we could have an IGA. <laughs> One brilliant thing about... Uncle Paul is that he, he provokes thought. And I tell this story as well, is that I was about to deliver a keynote to the World Indigenous, sorry, Healing Our Spirit Worldwide Conference. Non-Indigenous and Native people from across the world. And I rang up Uncle Paul the night before I travelled down there. I've got this really good topic that I'm going to speak about, Uncle How. You know, how our, our past has gone, but we can learn from our past and there's, there's no such thing as this thing called, that we call the future and all we can do is live in the present. He said, brother, you're right, there's no such thing as the future, but we don't even have the present. We've only got a moment of presence and then it becomes the past. So all we've got is our past. Now for 240 years, our past, it's been a challenge for us here. In three minutes, let's provoke some thoughts. <laughs> what can we do to build a better tomorrow for this country as a people? I don't know how many times uh, non-Indigenous Australians have come up to me and said, the trouble with you blackfellas, all you've got to do is forget about your past and move on. <laughs> have you heard that one before, you fellas? Yeah? How many of you have said it? And I, I said, have you ever walked into a dementia unit? 
and see what happens to people who, who lose their past, who lose their story. You know? I said, the past is all we have. We're sitting here in the present moment, and every time I do that, it becomes the past. When I went to school, the teacher kept telling me to look to the future. So one day, I jumped up out of my chair and started walking around, looking for things. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking for the future. Where is it? <laughs> I, said, I said, you keep telling me to look for it. I'm looking for it. And then I, said, then I worked it out that it doesn't exist yet. Because the future is, is something that I might be able to look forward to and I might actually be a part of or I might drop dead at any time as well. So now is all I have and my story of the past is what's in my head and, and if you take that away from me, I have nothing. So to ask people to forget about their story is just silly because our past is all we have. And people say, you know, we can't change the past. No, we can't change the past, but we can address the past. And that's what's really important as Australians is we need to address the past of, of, of our people and what happened to us. Um, and through addressing the past, we can then build that relationship together and look forward to a beautiful Australia walking together as, as Australians. And sometimes I sort of challenge people, well, maybe you can go back to your past a little bit because when you leave here today, you're going back home to where you come from. So you're going actually back to where you was this morning. You know? And you can do that because you have a memory of that journey. But if I took that memory away from you, you wouldn't be able to go back home, would you? So that's why the past is so important. And like I said, we can't change it, but there's lots of things we can do to address it. We do it all the time in, in our personal relationship. If someone's wronged us yesterday, we expect them to say sorry and do something about it to fix it up. Well, that's what we as Australians have to do. We have to address the past together. Ladies and gentlemen, can you copy of The Dreaming Path downstairs, Indigenous Thinking to Change Your Life? Please join me in thanking Uncle Paul Callaghan and Uncle Paul Gordon. I'm sure there's many copies downstairs and the two gentlemen will be able to sign those books and let's make a commitment to each other, to ourselves, to everyone that we come in contact with to build a relationship, to build a better country for us by learning and addressing our past to build a better future. Thank you guys, enjoy yourselves. I hope you enjoyed listening to this session, which was recorded at the 2022 Festival. Save the date for our 10th event, coming up from March 31 to April 2, 2023. Stories to you.